Luke 22, 14 through 20. It can be found on page 882 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 882 in the Pew Bible. Luke 22, 14 through 20. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would open our hearts and minds to your word. We ask that you would give us understanding and wisdom and knowledge so that we might rightly apply it to our lives. And we do pray that you would work in our hearts, even in this moment, to have a greater love for Christ and a greater love for one another, for the body of Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When was the last time that you had a meal together with your family? When was the last time that you had a meal together with your family? And what was the significance of this in your life? Did it have any significance in your life? In today's society and and technological age and and with our fast-paced, busy lifestyles, eating a a sit-down meal with our families falling on on hard times, right? Perhaps we have a meal together, but it's in the car, it's in front of a TV, which I confess, it was in front of a TV last night for me. It's with an iPhone on the table. And it further reveals our individual, isolated lives. So much that that Chick-fil-A, you you may be aware of this or have been aware of this, I believe it was about a year ago, Chick-fil-A had a family time challenge. Family time challenge. At every table, they had a They had a cell phone coop where you put your phone on silent and then you put it in this box and enjoy your meal and your family without any distractions. And it was intended to do just that, to eliminate distraction, allow people to begin to to interact with one another and have conversations with one another. And if you completed the challenge... You got free ice cream. You guys familiar with that? It's pretty remarkable. And think about that. Think about this for a moment. The goal to reclaim connections with family through a meal has to be rewarded because of how rare it is. Right? You see, 
they recognize this and we recognize the value of relationships and the value that is placed, that, that meals place in building relationships and connectedness within a family, right? We, we recognize that. And it's evident in the Bible as well how meals brought a community of people together. And how the Lord's Supper then, even as we're going to partake here after this message, how the Lord's Supper formed and shaped a new community as they gathered around a common meal. It was to be, not to be done in isolation by themselves apart from considering one another and their relationship to one another and the church. The Lord's Supper draws our attention to the community of believers, to this community life of the disciples and their shared experiences as the followers of Christ. A new community is formed and established by what we see here pictured at the table. And this is what I want to draw your attention to this morning. I want to focus on the community aspect of the Lord's Supper, right? We've In the past, as we've partaken of this meal together, we have focused on the vertical dimension, right? One's relationship with God. Christ died for us, my sins. Personally, my sins have been forgiven. Vertical connection, vertical dimension to the Lord's Supper, yes. But what I want to do this morning is focus on the horizontal dimension as well. And there's a community aspect to it. So I want us to consider three evidences that indicate that the Lord's Supper shaped the new community of God's people. And we see this in in your outline. The community aspect of the Lord's Supper is evident when we consider the relationship between the Passover and the Lord's Supper, when we consider the significance of meals in the Gospel of Luke and even in this account, and then the division within the church of Corinth. So first... First, the community aspect of the Lord's Supper is evident when we consider the relationship between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. Look with me at Luke 22 again. And this time, flip back to verses 7 and 8. And then we'll look at 13 through 15. Just so you can see some context here. Then, verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Now, verse 13, and they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. What we see here is the connection between the, the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And I've, I believe it was the previous sermon on the Lord's Supper. We spent an entire sermon, two sermons ago, on the fulfillment of the Passover in Christ and in the Lord's Supper. But what we see here is that the Lord's Supper is set against this backdrop of the Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples were preparing, are preparing, and are about to partake in. And Jesus will bring it to a greater significance in which he will show that it is about him. And as we have observed, the Passover meal 
found its fulfillment in Christ and in the Lord's Supper. The Passover meal was celebrated by God's people in which they remembered what God had done for them in delivering them out of their slavery, out of their bondage in Egypt. You recall that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and God calls Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. But Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. And so God then sends plague after plague after plague to show his power over Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods. And then God threatened one final plague, the death of the firstborn. God commanded the people of Israel to take a lamb without blemish and to kill it. And they take the blood of the lamb, and what they're to do is then put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of their houses in which they eat it. And they are to eat it in haste. Here's how they're to eat it. With their belts fastened, sandals on their feet, and staff in hand. And they were to eat unleavened bread. So they're going to be in a hurry. They're going to be in a hurry as they head out of Egypt. But God was going to then pass through the land of Egypt that night and strike down the the firstborn. And the people of Israel were to be ready for this great act of deliverance. When the Lord sees the blood on the door of their houses, he will pass over them. And in this way, they would be delivered from their bondage in Egypt. So each year, what they would do is they'd partake of this meal together as a family to remember what God had done for them in delivering them out of Egypt. In Exodus 12 and 13, they are told to observe the Passover each year as a reminder of God's deliverance. Exodus 13, 8, we read this. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came up, when I came out of Egypt. Then he continues in verse 14. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. As future generations would partake of this meal together, they were, in a sense, reliving and proclaiming God's act of deliverance for them, which, they became, which became a part of their own identity. It was an identity that was formed and shaped by what God had done for his people, for them as a people, right? So imagine this, future generations telling their children, as their children, child asks, Dad, why, why are we having this meal? Now think about that. Why are we having this meal? Future generations, why this meal, Dad? It's because of what the Lord has done for us in delivering us out of Egypt. Well, Dad, future generations, We were never in Egypt. We're in the promised land.
And though he was never there, he identified himself with this event. You see? In partaking of this meal, and in remembering the deliverance from Egypt through this meal, they identified themselves with what had happened in the past. It was, it was custom in, in Jewish meals, in a Jewish meal like this, where the people would gather together, they, they would gather with their families and identify themselves together. And the head of the household would then explain the significance of what they were doing, the significance of the meal. And it gave them hope, and it sustained them in the present. The meal was, was communal, remembering what God had done for them in the past. And they were identifying themselves together with what God had done for them in the past. And just as the Passover meal formed and shaped the community of Israel, so now the Lord's Supper and what it signifies reminds us of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It is a meal that we gather together as a family of God to celebrate Christ's death for us as his new covenant community. Not to be done in isolation, apart from the family, but a community of believers united around what this meal signifies. And second, so we've seen the community aspect of it in the Passover. The community aspect of the Lord's Supper is evident when we consider the significance of meals and reclining at table in Luke. Okay, so look with me in Luke here at 22.14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. The key phrase I want us to see here and consider is he reclined at table and his apostles and the apostles with him. When you read Luke, you recognize that meals have a significant place in his gospel account. In Luke 5, when Jesus called Matthew, or Levi, to be his disciple, Matthew then made him a great feast in his house and a large group of tax collectors and others, they reclined at table with them. To which the Pharisees grumbled at this because he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. What's the significance? In the ancient world, a shared meal, reclining at table, symbolized a shared life, intimacy, and unity. Then in, in Luke 14, as he dined at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, Jesus tells a parable of the wedding feast. When he noticed how the people who were invited, they chose this, the place of honor. And in this honor and shame society where you sat in a meal indicated your status in relation to the leader, right? So honor, shame society, where you sat at the meal indicates your own status. 
in relation to the leader. Imagine you've been invited to a wedding. Where you sit indicates your relationship to the bride and the groom, right? In some sense, it signifies one's position or status. And we all want to sit near the front or near the food, right? Uh, which one's going to be the first table that's going to be dismissed to get the food? Uh, put me there. Imagine you're invited to this wedding. You arrive at the reception. And then you walk in, you arrive at the reception, and then you take your seat on the stage where the bride, right next to the bride and groom. Okay. Or even the first table that's closest to them. If I can't be on the stage, I'll sit right closest to them. Those seats, obviously, as we know, we've been to plenty of weddings, those seats are reserved for someone else. They're reserved for the, the wedding party. They're reserved for the parents and the immediate family. Shame and humiliation would come as you are told to sit somewhere else. In a similar way, meals communicate group identity in relation to the leader. We, we see that in, in weddings in one sense. And we see that in Jesus' own day. One writer explains, meals in the ancient world were among the most important contexts for social relations. They were the primary context in which shame and honor were assigned. Meals were and are a means for organizing society. So then we, we arrive at Luke chapter 19 and the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. We're, we're familiar with the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, right? What does Jesus say? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I'm going to your house today. And when the people saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You see, to share a meal was to share your life with that person. And so as we arrive in Luke chapter 22, and as Jesus reclined at table with his apostles, we recognize that he is not only going to give his life for his people, he is sharing his life with his people. And he was forming and shaping this new community, a new family, right? In, the, in light of the Passover, a new family was being brought together. Who does Jesus say his family is? He who does the will of my Father is my brother and sister and mother. A new family is being called here. And their identity would be characterized by unity and humility and self-sacrifice. Which is why in John's Gospel account, we read it in the context of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Humility being displayed by their leader. It's also why, even in our context in Luke, Jesus has to correct his disciples after they partake of the Lord's Supper. 
In Luke 22, 24, the disciples began to dispute with one another over who is the greatest. They observed their seating arrangements. I must be the greatest. I'm closest to Jesus. You see, the nature of the meal was intended to unite his father's followers together as a new family that would be characterized by humility and self-sacrifice. They had just missed the purpose of the, of the meal and what was pictured at the elements of the table as his body would be given for them, as his blood would be poured out for them for the forgiveness of their sins. So what is pictured at the table then, what we see here pictured at the table should lead us to consider not only what Christ has done for us, but also how we are united to him and how we can humbly serve one another and share our lives together. Third and finally, this community aspect is evident when we consider the division within the church of Corinth. Go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, page 958 in the Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 11, page 958. So in, this, in the context of, of the church of Corinth in Corinthians, we recognize that there are divisions within the church. And time and time again, Paul is explaining these divisions. And he's seeing that, and he does not commend them for this. And then Paul says in verse 20, chapter 11, verse 20, that when they came together, it was not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Verse 21, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-one. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And then, what does Paul say in response to this? So he sees these divisions, these factions within the, within the church. So what does he say? Verse 23, for, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, the divisions and factions that were happening as the church came together was leading to the exact opposite outcome of what the Lord's Supper represents. You see? A meal that was intended to display humility and unity and sacrificial service was being practiced in, in a way that revealed 
exaltation of one's status. The rich are getting their fill while the poor are going away hungry. It was not a buffet like Pizza Ranch where it doesn't matter if you get there first, they'll, they'll have enough food. And the imagery is not that when the elements are passed out, people are taking, this is not what's happening, people are taking handfuls of the, of the bread so that when it makes it finally to the back, there isn't any. That's not what's happening. They're not passing the cups out, and I'm just taking a bunch of them, and the people in the back don't get any. That's not what's happening. In the early church, it was a common practice when they gathered together to, to partake of the Lord's Supper together. They did so in the context of a larger meal. Okay, so they took of the elements here. We see these little elements here. They took of these in the context of a larger meal, and a larger as they gather together. And these larger meals were intended to provide the church an opportunity to share with one another and express their communal life together. Right? Food brings people together, doesn't it? It can. But the divisions in Corinth revealed their selfishness when they partook of the meal. Rather than waiting for and receiving one another, the rich gorged themselves. They got there first. And it was at the meal, at the Lord's Supper, when it became even more apparent that the church was failing to live out their identity as a community. And the answer to their division was to remember the Lord's Supper. Remember what is displayed and what you are proclaiming at the table. As the community that's gathered around what Christ had done for them in humbling himself and giving himself for them. It is at the meal of the Lord's, at the Lord's Supper where we then can display our love, our humility, and our unity with one another. As we take of this meal together, we recognize that we all stand on equal footing at the cross. We all need Christ. Doesn't matter if you know Greek. Or Hebrew. doesn't matter how knowledgeable we are, how intellectual we are, how wealthy we are, how poor we are. We all need Christ. For those of us who are trusting in Christ, we are sinners saved by God's grace. We have been given a new identity. We belong to the family of God. And our lives are to be centered around what Christ has done for us, for His church. 
So let's be a people who removes the individualism and individualistic mindset that we're so accustomed to when we normally would eat a meal. When we only think of our own wants and desires. And let's remember that we are a family. We are a community of believers in Jesus Christ, united around Christ. This is the Apostle Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, for we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. We're the body of Christ, participating and sharing in what Christ has done for us. Therefore, as we partake of this meal together, we are signifying and identifying ourselves as a community, as those who are sharing our lives with one another in what Christ has done for us. So as we prepare to partake of the meal here in a few moments, Let's remember the vertical aspect, right? Sins forgiven. Christ died for me, yes. And he died in order that we might be right with God. Vertical. In order that I might have peace with God. And let's remember the horizontal aspect that because of Christ, we are a community of believers sharing in his death together, united around him and his work, that we are a family, that your brother and sister here in Christ, your brother or sister in the Lord, has their sins forgiven as well. Might this meal, as we eat together, bring a greater sense of community to us as we seek to love and care for one another, which is why in a moment, in the few moments that we have, which is why we'll partake together, and I'll designate that time as well. Might we now pray to the Lord as we prepare. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this morning as we see these elements in front of us and as we will partake of them in, in a moment. We give you thanks that Jesus Christ died for us. His body was given for us. His blood was shed for us. That now we are forgiven. We have peace with you by faith because of our faith in Christ, because of what he has done for us. And we also recognize that this is a, a meal that is intended to bring us together as we share our lives together in Christ. That a new family has been established. A new community of believers has been established by Christ. And even as we see, what we see pictured here in the bread and the cup, might it enable us to remember all that Christ has done for us 
and might we be shaped and formed by that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.